you know, it's funny. I've got three laptops and the one that I actually use to start a broadcast is always the last one to let me know that we're live. <laughs> anyway, we are live. Brent Leary here. First live stream of the week. Beautiful. Uh, very sunny Tuesday here in the A. And I'm really happy because I get a chance to talk to the co-founder and CEO of Box, Aaron Levy. Aaron, thank you for joining me, man. Hey, thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me on. So, I Before we started broadcasting, we're just reminiscing because way back in the day, 2008 time frame, I used to do a radio show here in Atlanta called Technology for Business Sake. And one of my first guests was Aaron Levy. And I'm guessing that might be the last time we've actually talked. <laughs> so it's really good to talk again 14 years later. It, it took this long to let uh, to, to have, <laughs> have me back. I, I don't know what I did, but uh, thanks uh, thanks for having me. May, are you a Patriots fan? Maybe that's it because, you no, know, I don't get no, it. No, no, no. I'm, okay. uh, well, I'm, the only thing I, uh, I study is Warriors. So, All right. Dubs fan? I'm good with that. All right, good. <laughs> so, man, um, what's been happening over the last 14 years? Just <laughs> uh, well, right. uh, I have a couple kids now. Um, you know, life, <laughs> life's changed quite a bit. Um, no, uh, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a fun journey, and I do appreciate uh, in those early days you uh, you paying attention to us and uh, and giving us a, a, an audience of folks that we could you know share share this sort of vision of of what what work could look like in the future. And um, it's uh, it's been definitely a crazy journey to to getting here. I remember back in those days. You know, um, you know when we were when we were really trying to pitch cloud computing was this revolution in uh, in how software would be delivered and um, uh, and you know completely change how we would work with our information and our data and we'd be able to work from anywhere and uh, it's it's un it's very unfortunate but it uh, you know kind of ultimately took um, in some respects a, a, the the global sort of uh, you know pandemic in the past couple of years for for people to see that this actually you know truly is a complete transformation in how we can work where we can work from, who we can work with. And, um, and it's, uh, it's obviously very unfortunate that that's what, uh, that, that's really what I think caused that um, to happen on a universal level. But um, it also became an opportunity for many um, to, to revisit their strategies around work and uh, the role of computing in, in work. And, um, and now, you know, here we are, we're, we're very much in this new flexible hybrid way of working and, uh, and software is clearly going to be the kind of basis in which um, in which we manage all of the all of that work in the future. You talked about, you know, some of the dramatic changes like over the last two years. There's been a lot of writing, a lot of focus on the future of work and how it's changing. But maybe you could share maybe some of the things that don't get as much publicity and hype that may be just as important as the things that are getting all the publicity and hype when it comes to the changes in the future of work. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, you de definitely it's it's always dangerous to, uh, to to veer too much of your strategy around what what you know is getting that hype. Uh, uh, we're all kind of familiar with the the kind of Gartner hype cycle, and um, and there's 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 sort of these different phases. Um, and you know, if you were if you were 15 years ago betting your you know your whole uh, you know, uh, sort of strategy on virtual reality or virtual worlds um, that that would have been, you know, largely in the in the um, uh, in in now, you know, we, the history of time, 
uh, a mistake in terms of, of what that actually amounted to be. So you really have to make sure you, you're kind of timing what strategies to implement and what technologies to implement at the right moment relative to that technology's ability to become ubiquitous and, and kind of reach consumer scale. So, so it's always very important for, for us all in, in the tech industry and, and sort of uh, around the tech industry to try and you know, uh, assess you know, what trends um, uh, are, are trends because they're exciting and because there's, they're, they're fascinating to talk about um, or that they're making money in the near term versus which trends are kind of sustained, you know, transformations in, in, uh, in how we, you know, run our businesses or, or, you know, do, do commerce and, um, uh, and, and run and, you know, run organizations. And so, so we spend a lot of time trying to assess that. I think right now, um, what, what, one of the most exciting things about technology is the fact that there's so many different conversations. You can be talking about the metaverse and virtual reality. You can still be talking about cloud computing. We can talk about artificial intelligence and what's the future of you know, autonomous you know, systems and, um, and manufacturing and cars. Uh, there's still you know, the 3D printing and, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and manufacturing space is still alive and well. So there's a, an amazing amount of innovation happening. Um, but choosing in particular which trends to focus on becomes very, very important for any kind of business. I, I think the things that we get most fascinated by um, is, uh, you know, weirdly, the stuff that actually we founded the company um, based on. And, uh, and they are just they're just trends that continue to be alive and well uh, in this industry. And so I'll just I'll just kind of enumerate them uh, super quickly. So the first is that um, uh, we know for a fact that over time, uh, computing uh, and computers are going to get faster and cheaper. And so, and so what that leads to is more ubiquitous uh, uh, computing uh, everywhere. And, it, and we, you know, if you just compare how many computers you have in your life today, probably, you know, I'm sure on your end, you, you probably, you still had plenty uh, 15 years ago, but, but today, you know, most of us have, you know, probably two to three to five times more computers in our lives uh, than we did 15 years ago uh, between our watches, our iPads, our phones, um, our, our laptops. Um, and at any given time, I mean, right now, literally in front of me, I have four different computers, um, that I can interact with, including, you know, what, 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 what now is obviously a phone, which is, which is now a computer. And so, um, going back 15 years ago, that would have been one and it would have been largely immobile, uh, as a desktop PC. So we know that computing is going to become more ubiquitous. We know that the internet, um, is, uh, is certainly becoming more ubiquitous and much faster. We know that the cost of storage infrastructure and, um, and sort of the, the actual infrastructure that runs our systems are going to get cheaper and, and more higher performance. And so, so what does that all mean? More computers, uh, more storage, faster internet, better GPUs. Um, what that means is that computing is going to become more ubiquitous. It's going to become uh, more, even more a part of our everyday lives. We're going to become more connected over time. Um, and, and that's going to have a massive uh, effect in uh, in, in global commerce, in how businesses are run, um, in, in how we operate our organizations. Um, and so, you know, I think the daily implications of that, uh, certainly we've seen in the past couple of years, what that means in terms of hybrid work uh, and being able to sort of work in this virtual first way. I think that continues to persist. Um, I think it's going to change how companies continue to collaborate and work together. Um, we're going to start to see more and more um, really open boundaries between teams and organizations. So the sort of, you know, if you go back 30, 50 years ago, you know, most companies were sort of vertically integrated. They kind of ran all of their, their supply chain themselves. They hired all the people inside their organization themselves. They had very strict hierarchies as organizations. 
And if you look at the future, you know, things are going to be much more fluid, much more open. Um, companies are going to be um, increasingly distributed and need to work with colleagues and counterparts much more in a, in a kind of global network. Um, and so, so I think this, this sort of the, 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 the Internet's impact on flattening uh, organizations and access to information and distributing computing has a massive impact on then how organizations operate, how companies run and what work looks like in the future. And just the fact that we can do, you know, this video conversation distributed to anybody is a, a great example of then the power of, of, of these trends um, over the past couple of decades. So we heard a lot about digital transformation before the pandemic. We've definitely heard a lot about it during the pandemic. What's been the uh, impact of the pandemic on the definition of digital transformation and, and maybe even from a collaborative standpoint. And as you said, it seems like organizational structures are flattening. And does that mean that the definition of collaboration changes because it's not just employee to employee or employee to management, but it's now organizations in the, in the other organizations that make up their ecosystem up and down the supply chain? Well, 100%. So, um, so, you know, I think one of the most interesting things has been um, uh, in watching business in the past, you know, at least from, from our purview at Box for the past, you know, kind of decade and a half is, um, is you always have had this tension, which is the larger a company gets, the slower it becomes, uh, the more bureaucracy that gets created, the harder it is to execute the harder it is to innovate. And, and, and conversely, we've seen that small companies end up being much more disruptive because they can move much quicker. They can be much more agile. They can be more nimble. And that's, that's, that's why I, I think you know, small businesses and startups are incredibly exciting because they can always move much faster than large organizations. And large organizations have always been trying to figure out what, what's that secret sauce, what's that magic of a small organization but we've actually known it all along, which is it's the fact that you can get five or 10 people in a room and that's the entire company and you can make a decision and then go execute on it. And so here's what's remarkable about, I think, you know, being two decades into the 21st century. Small businesses previously have not had access to the resources of a large company. So, so a small business, you know, didn't have the ability to do commerce on a global scale. They didn't have the ability to do, um, uh, you know, to do supply chains on a global scale. They didn't have access to the same infrastructure that a large kind of powerhouse, you know, might. But cloud computing and and then the the sort of subsequent innovations all led to that happening. So you can be a small business and you can leverage Shopify and have these the same e-commerce infrastructure as Amazon, uh, you know, you know, for all intents and purposes. Uh, you can use you know online advertising and have the same resources as a major retailer um, that has a massive, you know, multi-hundred or multi-thousand person marketing team in-house. Um, you can go to Amazon Web Services and leverage cloud infrastructure that that previously only the largest companies in the world, like JP Morgan, would have been able to bill out themselves. You can leverage products like Slack or Box or Atlassian or Zendesk and have sort of, you know, applications to power your business in a way that 20 years ago, you would not have had this sort of leading technology as a small business because you couldn't have afforded to sort of build it all out yourselves. So, so what's amazing is that well into the 21st century, small businesses have the distribution, the supply chain, 
the commerce benefits and the, the infrastructure and software benefits of a large enterprise. So that's, that's this pretty amazing flattening of access to technology. And we've seen the incredible benefits of that. You know, everybody knows, a, uh, you know, somebody who started a com company because of Shopify and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're in some business market that, that you never would have imagined before. I have a friend who sells balloons online and, uh, and it's like, you would never have been able to imagine a balloon company, you know, <laughs> an online balloon company, you know, 10 years ago, wouldn't have made any sense. And this is like a real meaningful business. Um, you know, at, at scale. And so so we've seen that dynamic where where now we have sort of the, the, the distributed nature of, of innovation and commerce that now lets any business, whether you're one person or 10 or 20 people as a small business, and you can now scale globally. Okay, that's amazing. But there's another amazing trend, which is which is back to that that sort of the bureaucracy, the slowdown of organizations. We've seen an equal trend, which is now the big companies because of, of sort of the openness of, the, of, of, of software, because of the distributed nature of work, the big companies are also becoming much more agile. And because, because when you throw in something like Slack into a large enterprise, it actually allows that large enterprise to start to operate like a startup again, because mm -hmm. you can actually get everybody on the same page in a way that was not possible before that type of technology. So instantly you can have a company of, of 500 or 5,000 employees that can begin to actually operate with the agility of those smaller companies. And so what technology is now allowing us to do is it's letting the big companies operate smaller and it's letting the small companies operate at a scale and with the leverage and the infrastructure that was never possible before like a big company. And I think this is an incredible equalizer in innovation, in access to talent, in uh in commerce and it's it, it does mean you have to be you know better than ever before competitively you have to you have to be able to make sure that your your organization is leveraging all of the benefits uh of that scale and of the internet uh, to take advantage of it but i think it's an i think i think ultimately what what you know the ultimate arbiter of all of this are our con consumers and customers and i think this is the best time ever to be a customer on the internet because you've got the big companies that want to innovate for you and they're and they're innovating faster than ever before. And you've got the small companies that now can deliver to you in a way that wasn't possible before. And so it's ultimately a win for like, just like the world in terms of being able to actually get all of this innovation delivered to us. Um, and that that's something that I get pretty excited about. Does that, does that mean that because of all the kind of the technological and communication advancements that collaboration is becoming more of an art than it was a science in terms of unleashing innovation and creativity from a collaboration standpoint, instead of focusing on kind of the nuts and bolts of communication? I think so. I think it's, um, uh, you know, it, it's really, uh, it's an interesting way to think about it, which is, you know, how did a company like Ford or GM or, or Procter and Gamble or GE get really, really good at what it does over a hundred years. And it's really through, I mean, clearly incredible innovation from a product standpoint, but it's also through uh, very, very effective execution of process at scale. Um, and so if you think about Procter & Gamble, you know, they have to make billions of products, I don't know, a month, um, you know, for us as, as consumers. And, uh, and the only way you can do that, so that way we get like the same soap every single time is through being just amazing at process execution. And that's obviously led to Six Sigma and, um, and these very, very uh, you know, structured, rigorous 
um, you know, uh, uh, processes in large organizations. Well, what does that also lead to is that leads to a high degree of stagnancy. It, it leads to, you know, a bit of slowdown in, uh, in, in execution because there's a tension, which is the more innovation you get, the more, the more that's going to change your process. And the, the process is sort of what lets you achieve results at scale if you're one of these big industrial you know, incumbents. And, so, and so, so that was the sort of science of management for largely the past hundred years is how do you manage an organization to be able to go and deliver you know, physical things at scale globally? And all of a sudden, we're now in this digital world where it's actually not about sort of always delivering physical things at scale to billions of people. It's about you know, being able to quickly respond to new market trends, be able to get new ideas that turn into products very quickly, often, you know, sort of fully delivering a digital experience. If you're in the, if you're in the media industry, you know, it's sort of less of a reliance on, on shipping physical film to movie theaters and much more of a reliance on getting us to download an app and, and consume that content directly. So we've sort of moved from this world of, of only physical things and the management of delivering those physical things to now many, many more digital things and physical things, but that in markets that are much more dynamic. And so the companies that succeed in the future are going to be those that are able to get the best ideas out of their employees, that are able to move much more quickly and in a much more agile way to respond to market trends. And there's a, there's a sort of technological capability to enable that. We need tools like, you know, modern, modern software to help you run your business. But then there's a sort of a, uh, a management science social dynamic, which is how do you collaborate as an organization? How do you ensure that the best ideas are sort of filtering to the decision makers? Um, how do you ensure that that you can you know respond in a very nimble way to a market trend? Um, these are these are things that that are you 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 can't you can't build a a sort of scientific system around. It's uh, it's much more organic, and it means that that uh, that that organizations are going to have to master that ability to to collaborate in new ways. Um, and, uh, and that that's, we're, we're only in the early days of what that even looks like. My buddy, Alan Berkson over at Freshworks says, what about the future of management? A lot of folks talk about the future of work. What about the future of management and some of the things that you just talked about? How does management have to kind of structure things from a cultural perspective in order to unleash some of the things, the benefits that could come out of some of the things you just talked about. It's, um, uh, you know, this is, uh, the, 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 you know, it, it's it's funny because um, every time we see some one of these new breakthrough trends, you know, w- w- there's always this conversation, well, you know, does the role of X sort of uh, diminish or or does it become more important? And I've always sort of generally found that actually more often than not, every time we think something diminishes, it actually gets even more important. Um, so, uh, so, you know, take manager as an example. You know, at first you're like, well, well, in a flat organization where everybody's interconnected, you'd, you'd be like, well, maybe the management layer goes away because everybody's just sort of flat and communicating. And it's actually, no, it's the opposite. It, the, 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 the role of and the effectiveness of a manager is now 10 times more powerful and important because, because you, don't get to, you don't get to be effective simply by just mandating a decision, telling your team what to go do, and then they're just going to execute. Everybody's got now way more information flowing in and out of, of their teams and their and their organizations. And so now there's an even greater premium 
on synthesizing ideas, on pulling out the best ideas from your team, on ensuring that the team stays incredibly connected, aligned and executing and, and sort of not distracted by all the different inputs and outputs going on, but also at the same time, getting the best ideas from everybody in that organization. And so I think, I think we are, there's going to be a new premium for really, really great managers, really, really great, you know, team leaders. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in, 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 you know, if you, if what you had to be good at 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago was sort of like typical, you know, MBA management, like, you know, what are the metrics, uh, you know, team accountability, um, you know, driving the team really hard. Like, let's just like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of creating a caricature of a manager from, from 50 years ago, but let's just pretend that was sort of, it was that simple. Now you have to be that good. And you also have to be basically as good as, as somebody leading a creative team because you've got to get the best ideas out of your talent. You have to make sure that, that, that you're, you're able to, to, you know, effectively, you know, collaborate on these more sort of squishy, organic, um, you know, nonlinear types of things as well. And so, and so it's going to be, it's, it, you know, the role of management is now equally a creative exercise as much as it is a scientific one. Um, and that's going to make the job, uh, I think that much harder, but also that much more interesting um, as time goes on. What about empathy between the future of management and the future of work? Yeah, I, I would say that, um, uh, I, I would say that, that, you know, we, we, that you, you, the two are converging in a way that um, uh, that that you know one drives the other, and and um, and there's a sort of a reinforcement of what managers are doing in the future, and what work looks like, and then what work is changing, uh, how work is changing, and then what managers have to do in response. And and so that's just a virtuous you know symbiotic you know cycle that 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 exists. And then of course uh, you 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 change you throw in one more sort of X factor, which is just technology, and and that's. That's this other thing that that is always sort of coming at you from left field that 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 you know we all collectively can't really predict because that in and of itself is organic. You know, one day one day you're you're thinking, well, okay, I'm going to just rely on email and I can communicate with email, and then you know Slack is invented, and all of a sudden you know everybody's heads explode, and and then we're you know now in chat rooms in work all day, and then you have to adapt to that because if you don't adapt to that, your competition will. And they'll move more quickly than you. And so, so you know, the future of management, the future of work, and future of technology sort of have this way of of coalescing um, and and you know just driving this this constant, never ending change um, in uh, in what business looks like in the future. Going to switch it up a little bit. Give me your definition of Web three, and just how important or what role do you see it playing in some of the things we just talked about. Well, I, I want to understand um, uh, how much live fire there's going to be on this one. So <laughs> maybe uh, maybe you could go first, and then we, <laughs> we could decide uh, if we're if we're seeing the world the same way. I'm an open book, man. I, I I don't. I want I want to hear what you have to say. No, what do you mean? What do you think is going on? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you hear all you hear things like around the metaverse, around cryptocurrency, but all these different kind of, you know, newer technologies and how they could come together and decentralize certain things yeah. and make it, you know, easier for more people to do things. But then that's never happened in the history of technology, you know? So, so I'm just curious. Plus I did read an article where you were interviewed and I think you're, you're uh, 
Web 3.0, you know, stance is really interesting. That's why I wanted to introduce it into the conversation. All right. All right. This is dangerous. So, um, uh, Web 3 is a topic that, um, uh, that, 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 you know, sort of automatically creates controversy anytime you're talking about it because, uh, because there's, there's a certain religion on, on, on both, you know, sides, frankly. And then there's a lot of kind of, you know, maybe, maybe folks in the, in the middle pragmatically. Um, what, what I would say is, um, uh, my, uh, you know, hopefully balanced or nuanced take would be the following, which is, um, which is there's a lot of ideals um, in Web3 that, that I think are super interesting uh, that, that nobody could possibly, uh, I, I think, want to you know, argue. Uh, you know, the idea of, of anything where, where innovation can become more um, you know, decentralized and distributed and create more opportunity is only a good thing. Like that's the power of the internet and that will always continue um, uh, you know, as long as the internet is around. Uh, and I, I, I sort of humbly think that the internet is already extremely decentralized. Um, and there, while there are power structures in the case of maybe an Apple or a Google or a Facebook, uh, I've, I've, I've personally witnessed um, companies emerge that we never would have thought could exist to compete with incumbents. And then they dominate entire markets. I mean, again, go back 10 years ago. And if, if you had said, um, uh, if you had said that, that, uh, there would be a, a a company called Shopify that would make it so anybody could create an Amazon. We would say, well, Amazon will just crush that company. It's not possible. And and yet today, Shopify has created millions of businesses. So so I think we already. I actually I I, I would sort of, sort of first flip it and say the internet already does many of the things that sort of Web three is is professing. Um, uh, it it already allows us to be on this podcast talking to anybody. And and really, without any practical way that you could stop this conversation, um, uh, and uh, uh, you know, for for all intents and purposes, and so um, so I think the internet already does many of the things that that we talk about Web three enabling. And so the first sort of maybe dose of realism would just be, hey, I think a lot of the opportunity that Web three creates or says to create already is existing on the internet. This is how the internet works. Um, and, uh, and there's absolutely ways to go and optimize it even further. So that's the first part. The second part would just be, I think the challenge, um, that, 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 that we run into with some aspects of web three, um, is, is really just the fact that, that, um, there's a, uh, uh, you know, what, what forgetting some of the, the more common criticisms of, of, you know, maybe the inefficiency of some parts of the technology, um, and other, other things like, like not even going, getting, in, getting into that. Um, uh, is that there's a reason why people uh, often want sort of trusted institutions. Um, uh, it, it's because you want a phone number to call when something goes wrong. You want to be able to uh, undo something that, that was inadvertently sort of executed. Um, you you want to be able to have certain protections. Um, and those institutions could be, you know, corporations. Those institutions could be government. Um, if there's ever a recourse that you ultimately need from a legal standpoint, and so I think that the you know the risk is is sort of um, uh, is is actually just that that it might not even be that some elements of Web three are actually that that exciting or optimistic um, as opposed to just more frankly um, you know uh, uh, so risky that you wouldn't want to participate because because the the work it would take as a consumer to participate exceeds the value you're going to get on the other end like like I often just want to pick up my iPhone and know that it's going to be exactly you know, work exactly the way I want. And yes, I didn't get to decide 
how the iPhone features came together. You know, a few people in, in Cupertino decided that, but, but I made the decision that, that that's the phone I want and I want the other phone. And, and then it's just gonna kind of work as advertised. And that's sort of what you get from trusted systems. Um, and, uh, and so I think, I think that the, the tension is gonna be um, as, as, as you know, consumers start to interact more with Web3, do they want those trusted systems again? And then by the end of that all, uh, have you just rebuilt what we already have on the web? Um, uh, and and, uh, and, and if, if so, then really we should more talk in precise language about what is actually enabled with Web3 as opposed to sort of just decentralized technology. We should talk about what are the user value propositions that are enabled and, and really just focus on the user. And so, so anyway, long-winded way of saying, I think, I think the internet uh, largely does many of the things that, that we're, we're sort of saying need to happen on the internet. So like checkbox number one is, is the internet is already enabling the, you know, the, the, much of this sort of um, exciting future. And then, and then the other element, uh, again, leaving out all of the technology uh, considerations, because that's just, um, I would bore people to death uh, if, we, uh, if we went into <laughs> that. Um, I think, I think the, uh, the other element is, is what do users ultimately want uh, from the services uh, that they get, uh, what is the utility that they are that they're sort of trying to experience, and if that can be accomplished in something that's decentralized, that might be totally great. But oftentimes, they do want a, a sort of trusted institution to go to, not because you know we're we 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 sort of love uh, you know power structures. It's because we like to know that that we can you know sue somebody if something goes wrong, and and we like to know that there's somebody who's accountable for delivering something to us. Um, uh, and, and if they don't deliver that thing, that there's recourse. And, and so that, that trust that gets gained over time really is important to, to, to making sure these networks um, are very effective. And so, so you know, decentralization is not sort of this panacea um, uh, you know, often because you, you still need to rebuild much, much of that trust and much, much of those institutions again just around underlying infrastructure that might be decentralized. So it's just some things to think about um, as, uh, as folks kind of consider the, the space. No, I appreciate that. That was great. And I, I think about the old one uh, throat to choke. <laughs> it's being able to have some recourse, I guess. I don't think, you know, just personally thinking, you, you have these two ends of each spectrum um nobody or the vast majority of folks don't want to live on either end they want to live somewhere you know in the middle yep and yeah i think you're totally right with you know what you just said with that i don't see anything yeah. i really don't see anything comfort uh uh com what am i trying to say controversial i don't see anything controversial about that particularly You'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> there's there's controversy everywhere uh, everywhere we look these days. But I think I think the um, on that continuum because I completely agree. Which is which is you know let's just take two extremes. Uh, let's say that there was a company that could do literally anything it wanted, and there was no government intervention ever, and and it was only sort of profit motivated, uh, and and it could it could buy and destroy and roll up anything and use our data however it pleases. Well, that, that would be really bad. Um, and on the other end, uh, let's pretend that that there was never a, 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 an organization that, that did anything and it was just, we were all a free for all and, and managing everything ourselves. Well, that would just be wildly inefficient. 
um, because because you would never get the economies of scale of the larger organization. So so there is a, a sort of it's always a point on that continuum. And then you just have to ask yourself, um, is, uh, it, it, you know, are, are there enough? Is there enough utility and value being generated to sort of change that point on the continuum that we're at um, for any particular thing? And um, and will consumers actually sort of want to change that point on the continuum? And, you know, maybe maybe just to belabor the point for one second, you know, there's this classic example of, you know, well, what if we decentralized Twitter as an example? And, and it's on one hand, it's a super interesting novel question. And, and it's fun to think about as a as a sort of math, as a sort of a game theory exercise. Um, but but eventually what you realize is that we all join Twitter because everybody else is on Twitter. And so, and so you get the power of that sort of network effect that we're all there. We can all see the same thing and we can all distribute to the same set of people. And the moment that you start to fracture that, um, you won't have that, the benefit of that network effect. We'll, we'll, we'll have something more akin to email, which is incredibly powerful, but it, it serves a purpose. And, and again, there's different lines of that continuum where different products sort of serve different roles on that continuum. And, um, and so the moment you try and sort of, you know, decentralize Twitter, you don't longer have Twitter. You just have a different type of technology that's going to serve a different purpose. And so, um, and so, it's it's important to sort of recognize what types of technologies or what kinds of use cases you get from different points of that continuum that you land on from a decentralization versus centralization standpoint. And and there's sort of there's 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 very sort of um, uh, structural reasons why that happens. It's not accidental um, that that where you land on that continuum will determine. Uh, what kind of, of customer experience and use cases can be produced um, ultimately. And so that is not, you know, it, it's not something that you can just kind of, you know, pretend doesn't exist uh, if you wanted. Yeah. Create, uh, create the spectrum and let us choose where we want to roll on that spectrum. I think, you know, there's, I don't know, it, it, it's the, the holy wars, the crusades against some of these things get a little overdone in my opinion. But kind of from a practical standpoint, it you want you want to find the right mix for you of control or decentralization or you know good actor that has a lot of sway over it. I'm always trying to figure out, you know, where do I want to live on that? Because even if you have you know this Uber power that has an out, you know outsized control over something but they for the most part have been good what's going to happen if they wake up and have a bad night you know and and they you know something flips them off so even if it's somebody that has a great track record i don't know if i want them having a, too much power but on the flip side i want to have a throat to choke if i need it to it's I don't know. It's a very complicated. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm probably, you know, if, if, if sort of this was taken to a vote right now, uh, and we all got to kind of determine where we land on voting for different types of economic structures, mm -hmm. I probably would, would argue that the market, uh, is already a really good system for deciding, uh, and keeping companies honest over the long run. You need legal frameworks, to define what what is legal and what's not legal, and we need we need kind of collective action um, uh, in, uh, in in sort of improving organizations. 
But but at, at the level of what products should do, the market is already very effective because when we all go and buy an iPhone, that's sort of sending a signal to Apple that that, you know, this is the kind of innovation that we want. Or if we all go buy an Android, it's sending a, a signal to the market that this is the kind of innovation that we want. So I, I've, I've found that that anything other than letting consumers sort of vote with their dollars um, ends up being very, very inefficient because because that now you're really your signal ends up being very distorted by different factors. What do investors want? What do governments want? It's a lot easier when consumers you know, can, can make those decisions with their dollars. And then you've got government as a means of, of ensuring consumer protection and kind of creating the right guardrails around what companies can do so they don't overreach, um, uh, you know, depending on what we all collectively define as overreach, because hopefully we're electing people uh, into government positions that reflect the values of, of you know, our, uh, uh, you know, our, our collective you know, uh, views on these topics. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add to this would be I like the idea of consumers voting with their dollars. The one thing I think is missing or lacking is the access to real information in real time that we don't get all the information that I think we should get yep. in order to make the kind of decisions that would be in our best interest with our dollars and with everything else. But I totally agree with you. Yep. You know, there's going to be positives and negatives to any system that's out there. But the system that we seem to have, I would choose that over anything that I know of at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, I that, would like to. <laughs> that's the only problem is like you look at history and you're like, well, the other <laughs> systems really don't work. So, <laughs> right. So, so, yeah. so you know, the, the, this is, I mean, we could, we, you know, you and I could enumerate 100 problems with today's system. Uh, and let's go and let's go individually try and improve those. But but like the other systems uh, are are really bad. So <laughs> so let's, yeah, let's keep working <laughs> on this one. So one last question. Um, we talked a lot about the future of work. Um, how is that future impacted by the metaverse, if it is at all? You know, uh, th this one actually is more, uh, this one's way more complicated to me than Web3 because Web3, at least we can kind of, you know, feel and touch and understand technically what metaverse is actually probably even more um, ill-defined um, uh, th than Web3. Web Web3 at least has the sense of like, okay, there's a crypto, you know, currency and blockchain technology that, that's sort of powering these use cases. Metaverse, uh, you know, some argue that it means virtual reality. Some argue that it is really just means that our, our digital lives have sort of overtaken our, our, our you know, sort of person, human lives. Uh, so everybody kind of has a different view of that. I, I am, I, I'm probably, you know, frankly, more in wait and see mode uh, on, on this one. Um, you know, I don't have any, uh, you know, I, I've, I've uh, tried virtual reality, you know, at each major juncture in the past decade, you know, decade and a half. And, um, uh, and it gets better every time and it gets more exciting every time. Um, but then you run into this issue of, okay, I don't want goggles on that, that, that long. And so, and so, you know, you've, got, you've just got this issue, which is, which is, you know, this thing is great because I can pick it up at any time and, 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 it, and I can use it. Um, I can use it in the context of my current experience. And so it becomes very easy to add to your lifestyle. Um, you know, something like VR is a fundamental, it's like, you're either doing VR or you're not doing VR. There's no in between. And so um, that puts a, a higher threshold 
for its, its sort of utility and entertainment value uh, to be executed on. Uh, and, uh, and so I would just say, I'm going to, I'll just watch and see how the market, you know, innovates. And then again, back to that consumer's voting, um, it'll kind of be very obvious to us all, uh, which, which is, you know, we will either really, really love this stuff or we won't. And then that will, that will kind of determine how much energy, you know, we should be, you know, put into thinking about, uh, about these kinds of tools and systems, um, uh, you know, from a workplace or a consumer standpoint. So, so I know it's kind of lazy of me, but I kind of think about it as, as like, I can afford to put more cycles on it um, once, once we sort of see what it actually looks like more. Um, you know, it's easy to brainstorm like, okay, well, we could do this meeting virtual rea in virtual reality. It would be obviously more immersive. There's, it's unquestionable. Um, it would be, there'd be some things that would be more entertaining and exciting. And there'd be some things that might be, um, you know, uh, more, 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 you know, more strange. And so, and so I think it's, it's, but again, it's one of those things where like, you know, you don't have to think that hard about it, except unless you're working on it, if you're working on it, then, then Godspeed to you, just like go innovate as quickly as possible. And, and we're all, we're all here for you when, when, uh, when there's more to adopt. Um, but, uh, but I, but I, I'm kind of just waiting to see what the trends look like in the, uh, in the future. Now I'm totally with you on that one. I think there's still a lot of work to do in the physical world. Yeah, exactly. Let alone, you know, go there and then see how that impacts what we do in the physical world too. Yeah. And I think, but, and, and, and like everything, I mean, you know, this is, this goes back to your very first question, which is the hype side. Uh, there's, you know, sometimes these things don't have to overtake anything. It can, it can just, you know, it could just be that at 8 PM on a Tuesday, you do virtual reality and it's a great way to like hang out with friends that you wouldn't be able to get together in person with and you're playing some kind of games or, or whatnot. Like that, that to me is a very sort of applicable, relevant, you know, use case. Uh, but that's different than saying, okay, 10 hours a day, we're going to wear these goggles to, to, to be in our meetings. Um, and, and it's, there's a lot more work for that outcome to occur before the other one. And, uh, and that's, that's sort of often how technology plays out is, is it kind of adds to and augments our current way of doing things. Man, this has been a great conversation, Aaron. Um, we need to have more of these little uh, less time in between than the 14 years from the last one. But this has been awesome. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, definitely, I think we can we can uh, make it a habit less than 14 years out. <laughs> and a special shout out to uh, Rod Miller from TechCrunch, who's the guy that got me to thinking, man, I really should talk to Aaron Levy. <laughs> hey, Ron, uh, we love you. <laughs> All right, folks, take care. Thanks again. And I'll see you tomorrow. No, wait, it's only Tuesday. See you Thursday for uh, CRM Players. See you there. Thanks, Brent.